0: Help.com/sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tenasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a 2.5 million dollar grant Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and today I want to talk about overwhelm. Getting overwhelmed is one reason that we turn to alcohol. Maybe you drank after some sober time, and then afterwards, you don't even know why you did it. Or maybe you find yourself feeling out of control and needing alcohol or food to bring you back down. So in this episode, you'll learn about something called the amygdala hijack, which prevents our rational thinking brain from working correctly. I'll explain what's happening in the brain when we get overwhelmed, how this tactic is used in the courtroom and three strategies you can use to prevent overwhelm and calm yourself down without reaching for alcohol. I also want to share a quick life update because my own experience with the amygdala hijack has prompted me to make some career changes in my life. So I'll tell you about what happened and what I'm doing now. So let's dig in. an area of the brain that triggers emotional responses that let us cope with fear or anger. The amygdala can also trigger hormones in our fight or flight response which prepares the body to act. And emotions are important because they prompt us to act quickly and do things that will maximize our chances for survival. So the main purpose of even having emotions is to motivate us to do something. If you felt meh all the time and you didn't care about anything, then you wouldn't do anything about it. Emotions help us make everyday decisions, and they're designed to not just help us make decisions, but help us make faster decisions. So ideally, we would use logic and our emotions to make the best decision for ourselves. I explained this in episode 98 in more detail, but emotions come from the meaning that we assign to a situation, and then the meaning produces an emotional response. Sometimes our meaning is wrong though, and this is where we need healthy coping skills. The intensity of an emotion determines how we deal with it. For lower emotion intensities, people generally go with positive coping strategies like reframing which we talked about in episode 94. For higher emotion intensities, people use avoidance, but studies have found that avoiding emotions just goes on to increase their intensity. I've talked about overwhelm many times on this podcast, like in episodes 45 and 55. Overwhelm was my main reason for drinking. Something would happen to me, I'd assign meaning to it, and I'd immediately become so overwhelmed that I couldn't function. And maybe you've seen overwhelmed people in action. They literally can't function. Like there's no talking to them even. They can't handle anything. My purpose of creating this podcast is to help us understand why we experience the things that we do. And since I've experienced a lot of overwhelm in my own life, I've been trying to figure out what it actually is, like what's going on inside my head when that happens to me. There are many connections between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex that help us regulate our emotions. Our eyes and ears send information about what's going on around us to the amygdala, and then this information makes its way to the neocortex, which is the thinking and rational part of the brain. The reason that our brain works this way is to keep us alive. So if we had to stop and think every time something happened, then humans probably wouldn't be around anymore. Sending information about our environment to our amygdala first allows it to react and propel us into action so we're not paralyzed by thinking about our options. The amygdala recognizes potential threats and then sends this information to the prefrontal cortex to evaluate the threat. And then the prefrontal cortex sends this feedback to the amygdala to let it know whether it should escalate the threat and go into fight or flight mode or whether it's not a big deal and it should just chill. So these areas of the brain are communicating back and forth to determine how we should feel and how we should act. This system doesn't always work, though, and sometimes the amygdala hijacks the system and the prefrontal cortex can't regain control. This is called an amygdala hijack and is talked about often in regards to witness testimony. The amygdala hijack is a term that originated from Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence. You can get hijacked when you feel anxious or something surprises you too, so it's not just a threat to your safety. In my experience, every time I've been hijacked, it's because something happened that was the opposite of what I was expecting. I've had three very intense urges to drink in my two and a half years of sobriety. I had the first one around 18 months, and the most recent one was a couple months ago. If you've been hanging out with me for a bit, then you know that nothing hijacks my amygdala like being told I'm stupid or having someone imply that I'm stupid. All three times that I had the urge to drink were because my stupid belief was activated and I just could not handle it. The first time this happened was because someone basically said I was stupid. And the second and third time was because I assigned meaning to a situation and that meaning meant I was stupid. So we also have to be careful with the way that we interpret things. We don't have 100% control over that, obviously. Anyway, so I promise you a little life update. And these urges led me to leave my career as a biochemist. So I was a teacher for five years, and then I determined that the stress of teaching must be why I drank so much, and I switched my career to biotech and I've worked in labs ever since 2017. I've always been confident in my intelligence up until 2017. After that, I have consistently felt badly about myself. A lot of this is on me and the meaning that I assign things, but the culture in biotech was something that beat down my self-worth. The past year was the worst, which is why I had these three very strong urges to drink. After my first urge to drink last summer, I started considering changing careers. I spent a year going back and forth, thinking about all my options, and I was actually leaning towards staying because I made a six-figure salary and I got bonuses every three months, and I kept telling myself, it's my fault that I get so upset, I just need to get over it and appreciate what I have. But then I got hijacked again a couple months ago, and that same day I decided I have to leave. The hijack was so bad that I didn't just have the urge to drink. I also started having really bad thoughts about myself. So again, if you have been hanging out with me, then you probably know I stopped drinking because I became really suicidal and it scared me. I thought the nastiest things about myself back then. And during this hijack, I started thinking some really nasty, cruel thoughts about myself. And I haven't had any thoughts like that in two and a half years of sobriety. And that's what led me to the decision to quit my job. I felt like I was putting my sobriety in danger if I stayed. I felt like I was regressing all the way back to when I was still drinking. Before that, I was beating myself up saying I was too weak to handle it and I just need to get over it. But even if it is all my fault because I just can't handle it, that doesn't change the fact that my job was doing some scary stuff to my mental health and my self-worth. And it helped me realize, actually, that my biggest trigger to drink is low self-worth and hating myself. I also realized that not everyone has the luxury of being able to quit their job. But if your job hijacks you, like mine did, then there are some things that you can do to improve your situation. You don't have to endure suffering because you think you should get over it. So I'm married and I can get health insurance through my husband, so that gave me a lot of opportunities. But if I was single, I would have just switched jobs, either to another lab job that wasn't in research, or back to teaching, or even working at Starbucks. No job is worth risking my sobriety. And of course, this is my own opinion and you can absolutely disagree with me. Everyone needs to find what's best for them. But as someone who has a history of addiction, my sobriety needs to be a huge priority for me. So you might be wondering, what am I up to now? Well, I have been grinding at this podcast for two years and that has been a big help. I've been working towards eventually going full time. I have also started a business, which I will tell you about later on the summer, probably sometime in August. I'm also going to teach math part-time for some added security and to make myself relevant again in teaching. And this is a great backup plan because I could always just go back to full-time teaching. I also write for WebMD and you can see all my articles on my website and I'll link that page in the show notes too. And again, that also gives me a lot of opportunity having this experience. When I experienced an amygdala hijack, it literally felt like an explosion in my brain. I've been trying to think of a good sound effect for days so that you could use that too when you get hijacked or you reflect on a past hijack. It's kind of like a plink sound, like someone flicks you and you just implode. I don't know what you think about that sound, but that is the best that I could do. So if you don't have very many coping skills, and you've conditioned yourself to cope with alcohol or food, then a hijack can set off a very intense craving for alcohol, which is what happened to me. And I have tools, which is why I got through it, but it still set off this really intense urge to drink. Beth and I talked about the window of tolerance and feeling overwhelmed in episode 102. So make sure to listen to that one if you haven't. But when we get hijacked and can't deal, our mind remembers that alcohol has previously fixed this problem for us. We made a connection between feeling upset and alcohol calming us back down. So the brain begins to release dopamine in response to the hijack. And remember, dopamine is a motivational chemical that encourages us to search and seek out alcohol, which is essentially what a craving is. I did a deep dive into dopamine in episode 62, if you're interested in learning more. I mentioned earlier that the amygdala hijack is common in the courtroom. So cross-examiners will use tactics to try to cause an amygdala hijack while a witness is testifying. And there are three different emotional threats that very quickly trigger this response aggression, humiliation, and confusion. And for me, my stupid belief triggers humiliation. So the idea here is that while a witness is testifying, if the cross-examiner can trigger an amygdala hijack, it will cause the witness to stop responding logically and go into survival mode where they respond defensively. During an amygdala hijack, you're not able to access your cognitive abilities as you normally would be able to, so you can't really think things through before you speak or act. So part of the process of being a witness, which I didn't realize, is to get cognitive training so the witness gets desensitized to these types of psychological attacks. Another tactic that cross-examiners use is displaying negative facial expressions towards a witness after they give their answer. MRI studies have found that negative facial expressions quickly activate the amygdala compared to neutral expressions. Angry expressions are particularly powerful. So remember, the amygdala is involved in processing threat-related stimuli and responding to it. So if someone looks angry with us, then that could mean that we are in danger. This makes me wonder too, if people pleasers or anyone who struggles with self-confidence is hijacking their own amygdala. I've always struggled with wondering if people are mad at me and analyzing their facial expressions and words to determine if they don't like me. Often people like this will decide someone must be mad at them or unhappy with them And then they get upset about it when we have no real evidence of the person's feelings Maybe this isn't enough to hijack your own amygdala But I wonder if this kind of experience in conjunction with other stressors is enough to overwhelm us Here are three ways that you can deal with a hijack Number one prevention and situation selection In episode 98, I gave you some coping strategies to use instead of alcohol, and one of them was situation selection. And this is literally what I just did by leaving my career in biotech. If my job triggers low self-worth and that leads me to getting hijacked, then by leaving that career, I am preventing my most vulnerable trigger. Teaching never hijacked me or made me feel stupid and worthless. And maybe you don't even know what your trigger is yet. And if you're one of those people who drink and you don't even know what happened, then you need to do some self-discovery and figure out what your triggers are. And I recommend doing this work with a therapist because they can help you make connections. Once you know your trigger, you can take steps to prevent it. If you can't avoid your trigger, then there are other strategies that you can use to manage them. The second one is cognitive reappraisal and reframing. And this is something that I also explained in episode 98. So if you are a witness at risk of being hijacked by the cross-examiner, then this is a witness preparation strategy that a lawyer may use to get you ready to testify. Reframing helps you take negative stimuli And reinterpret it as neutral. So when you can make a negative into a neutral, then you reduce the power that it has over you. Neutral things won't set off your amygdala, so these stimuli can then be sent over to your prefrontal cortex and your rational mind can deal with it. Studies have found that cognitive reappraisal skills are key. To maintaining prefrontal cortex activation when negative stimuli are present. You can't just decide to have the skill though, it takes practice, so don't beat yourself up if this is something you're working on learning. And passive instructions, like stay calm or don't get angry, have been found to be ineffective. Of course we know that we're supposed to stay calm, but we don't know how to stay calm. So learning how to reframe situations and take a more active approach when you're upset will help you keep your prefrontal cortex engaged and prevent or calm down a hijack. I walked you through a reframe in episode 98 too if you want to see that in action. And number three, label it. Studies have found that labeling an emotion can reduce its intensity and reduce our distress. And this makes sense because in order to label an emotion, you have to have the awareness to understand what you're feeling. And to analyze an emotion enough to label it, you have to be using your rational mind. And this is something that drinkers struggle with a lot. We shoot right up into overwhelm land and we don't know anything besides that. So if you don't know how you feel, then how can you expect to deal with it in a healthy way? If you struggle with this, then make sure to check out episode 82 with therapist Amanda White and episode 78 with therapist and life coach Nikki Eisenhower. They both walked us through how to get started with recognizing your emotions. And as always, I'll have a big list of all the episodes I mention in the show notes. And a bonus tip for you is do the stupid stuff. When I got hijacked, my first thought was to go drink and ruin my life. And then my next couple thoughts were other things that would harm me, like never eating ever again. And I kept saying to myself, we don't do that anymore. And eventually, I moved out of self-destructive thoughts and I started listing off a bunch of stupid stuff that I could do like journal, go on a walk, call a friend, go to the gym, stuff like that. The things that make you roll your eyes that you absolutely don't want to do. Those are the things that don't provide immediate relief and instant gratification, but they are things that will actually help you. So keep listing out the stupid stuff until you settle on one that you're willing to try. This is how I came up with the Rage Walk. It was during my first hijack in sobriety. Walking and listening to very loud music was what I was willing to try. And now it's my go-to. So again, my purpose with this podcast is to help you understand what's going on in your head so that you can keep yourself calm and navigate these intense situations. Now that I understand all of this information, I can look at someone who's so intensely overwhelmed that they can't function and think, wow, they're being hijacked right now. And hopefully, if I ever get hijacked again, I can use this knowledge to help myself calm down quicker. This lets us be more compassionate towards ourselves and others. Instead of judging people or ourselves for not being able to handle things, we can see it instead as a hijack that they need to calm down from, and then they will be able to handle things. And if the sound effect of the plink helps you, then please make sure to use it. And I will talk to you next week.